I will first read in Romanian. Astfel, fiindcă avem un mare preot însemnat, care a străbătut cerurile, pe Iisus, Fiul lui Dumnezeu, să rămânem tari în mărturisirea noastră. Căci nu avem un mare preot care să n-aibă milă de slăbiciunile noastre, ci unul care în toate lucrurile a fost ispitit ca și noi, dar fără păcat. Să ne apropiem, dar cu deplină încredere de scaunul Harului, ca să căpătăm îndurare și să găsim Har, pentru ca să fim ajutați la vreme de nevoie. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is God's word. Giving honor to God the Father, our Father, and giving honor to Jesus, the very Son of God, in honoring the Holy Spirit, third member of the triune God, equally God, who dwells within every one of us. It's so good to be here today, and so good, and I'm so thankful that I'm part of an assembly where we can read the scriptures in first languages other than English. And that's something that we can all enjoy together and celebrate as the different parts of the members of Christ are still one. And so I'm so thankful uh, to have heard that um, today. Also thankful to Pastor Gerald and also to the elders for another opportunity to stand uh, before you and be a steward over the word of God and thus over your lives. So grateful um, again. We want to go to Hebrews chapter Four, because we want to delve into the Word of God and hear from heaven. So let me uh, start us off by a word of prayer. Father, we love you today. Bless you for worship today. Thank you for the songs we were able to sing about how good you are and to be reminded of Scripture through the songs of plans you have for us. Thank you so much for giving us your son as we go into the Easter celebrations. We are grateful for all the reminders of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us in the great exchange that took place where we got his righteousness as he took on our sin. Bless now, God, that a word from heaven could be heard that it would teach and rebuke and correct and instruct and encourage and exhort, that it would strengthen your church so that we would be more zealous and more courageous and more bold and more holy as we try to live the gospel before the people in Oak Park and Chicagoland and as we try to partner with those who are proclaiming the message of the death and resurrection of Christ around the world. 
all over Chicago today, God continue to give power to those preaching the gospel. Bring about a revival in Chicagoland. Oh, God, move by your spirit. God, sweep through so that many will cry out for salvation and leave unrighteousness and evil. Around the world, do the same, God. Bless our mission partners so that they would have great opportunities with open doors to proclaim Christ and see people calling on Christ for salvation as never before. Now be with us to bless us. Speak clearly, God. Make your will known. And we will be careful to honor you and give you praise. Again, we love you, Lord Jesus. And we are grateful for our salvation today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The historic winning all wards, mayoral election victory of Lori Lightfoot certainly indicates a mandate for change. A mandate up to which it will be very hard for Mayor-elect Lightfoot to live. When citizens vote in the manner of the recent election, they are saying, we want someone who understands our real needs in this city and who will be able to make the meeting of the needs happen. We want a balanced budget, reversal of the city's population slide and residential exodus affordable housing and a cap on property and sales taxes, and great improvement in the school system. We also want ethical leadership among elected officials, reduction in crime, better support of the police, and improved police accountability, improvement of infrastructure, and a solution to slow highway traffic, creation of more jobs, and a luring of big-name tech companies to the city, more green spaces, and protection of our ecosystem, yada, yada, yada. And Miss Mary Lett, you better know the unstated content of all those yadas. What the citizens also were saying is that we do not think the other candidate could deliver and that the previous person in your new office has not delivered. That is, both the previous executive and your biggest challenger do not get what we want and need and they have no means of delivering what we want or need. Therefore... We have taken it upon ourselves to fulfill those needs in our own ways, resorting to things like moving out of the city and the state, starting our own schools or filling up private schools, turning to gun violence or redlining, keeping George Lucas from bringing his museum here and making the developers of Lincoln Yards go back and find more spaces for parks and walking and open areas, and most of all, removing from office anyone we thought did not or could not deliver. In short, constantly living in unideal situations, unideal for success and peace, forced the citizens of Chicago to use their rights of suffrage to secure, by their own means, the things that would make for their relief and happiness. Something very similar occurs in the spiritual realm when our ideal concepts of what life should be like for us continues to escape us and instead offers us a dystopian version of the prosperous Christian life we have constructed as the picture of the life God promised to us. 
When we do not get the outcomes for which we had hoped in life. When we do not receive the marital love we think we should have received as people who have kept ourselves for Jesus. When our children do not turn out to follow Christ according to our standards or to be as easy to raise in proportion to the amount of parenting energy we are giving toward raising them. When we do not get the same resources to complete our work as our co-workers or the same accolades for the same amount of work or even when our church does not deliver on the friendliness, meaningfulness, accountability, or creative freedoms you hope for in a church, we then face very real temptations to force better outcomes through less than totally God-trusting efforts. If we are being crushed under the weight of disappointments and discouragement, we might even ask, what is the benefit of following God if the outcomes seem to be no better than those experienced by those who have no walk with God? Today, I want to give you reasons not to elect a candidate for Savior other than Jesus. My reasons do not pertain to insurance from hell's fires, which is so easy to discuss, but it's not your concern when Christian life delivers stress rather than happiness. Instead, my reasons pertain to assurance that going back to Christ, when we feel too weak to continue faithfully following him, is the best choice possible because he alone has the strength you need to obey him with joy. That is... I want you to see with me that Jesus is a great priest for weak people. So let's look at three things about Jesus' priesthood, and then I'll sit down. <laughs> First, this priest has access to heaven. It says in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. When the author of Hebrews speaks of Jesus having passed through the heavens, the reference of the sense, therefore, seems to be to Jesus being crowned with glory and honor in Hebrews chapter 2, as he obtained such upon his ascension from earth back to heaven. Here, there also is an implicit comparison to the ministry of Moses and to the ministry of the Levitical priesthood. Superior to Moses, as argued in chapter 3, Jesus passes not just through the Red Sea or through the wilderness. Superior to Aaron and the Levitical priest, Jesus passes not just through the curtain and inside the tabernacle. Jesus passes to where God resides and enters God's very presence. In doing so, he shows his superiority to the earthly priest who had to wait for God to come down to the tabernacle in order for them to reach him. He shows his superiority to Moses who had to wait for God to split the sea and to send his angel before Moses in the wilderness. Pastor Gerald said as much two weeks ago when he stated, quote, Jesus is the rightful heir and authority over God's house. 
the emphatic insertion of Jesus here, when by this time it is very evident of whom the writer is speaking, reinforces this idea even more. It is as if the writer to Hebrews says, this priest is Jesus, and not just another convenient priest down the street at the temple, one who has no power to stand in the face of God. Jesus is God's very own son, which is going to give him unique access to the Father at our times of weakness. The priest to whom we have turned Jesus, who does have direct access to God, is the reason we must hold fast to what we have confessed when we are tempted to sin. All other means to access God's righteousness and power when we are tempted to sin in order to deal with stressors against our Christian belief have the same limitations faced by Moses and the Levites. Okay, sidebar here for a minute. The temptation to sin as a result of pressure to let go of our confession is mentioned in the next verse. Jesus faced every temptation without sin, but we face temptations and yield to sin. We face those temptations when the pressure is coming on us to let go of our confession, and so we deal with the, the pressure, the temptations by sinning, which Jesus did not do. So allow me now to go back and repeat what I said before this. All other means to access God's righteousness and power when we are tempted to sin in order to deal with stressors against our Christian belief have the limitations faced by Moses and the Levites. Let me explain. Explosive anger makes people fear you but does not bring about a response of love. Despondency can make you numb to your problems, but the problems remain and soon will become too large to ignore. Adultery or immorality, even in the online forms of them, can offer physical satisfaction, but not true intimacy that comes in a relationship in which God is smiling down on your commitment to your marital covenant or in which God is smiling down on the guilt-free purity that one can have as a single. Avoidance whether staying at the office extra time or retreating too often or too long to another room, can keep you from addressing your own powerlessness in the home. But it does not help you help those you are avoiding to see how they are harming you and everyone else. Mind you, I understand that godly avoidance is needed often when there is trauma, but when there is not trauma involved, it's just avoidance for avoidance sake. What you really want is God's power and presence, and only Jesus has access to that. Our confession is our belief in Christ. It is the gospel message that Jesus has the only name under heaven by which someone may be saved from God's wrath against sin and to God's glorious righteousness. You once were living apart from God in unbelief, and someone explained to you how God satisfies our souls in Jesus. He or she also explained that God satisfied his wrath against sin in Jesus through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He did it through Jesus as Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. So you confess Jesus as your Lord, 
trusting that he will forgive your sin, raise you from the dead in the next life, and give you his resurrection power in this present life because he alone has risen from the dead and defeated death. On this basis, Christ has saved you to himself, and on this basis, he will save you who are hesitant to trust him for salvation if only you will place your trust in him today. Go, therefore, to Jesus, who has access to heaven, and do not let go of what you have already confessed. Second, this priest understands our temptations. Again, it says in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Having just reminded us that the priest in question is the very Son of God, it would now be tempting to think there is no way Jesus can identify with us. He was impeccable. He did not sin. He therefore does not get what's going on down here on earth. How tough it is to follow him. The easy road is to live apart from the insults and accusations thrown at Christians for having a belief system that excludes others and has moral standards that condemn the world, moral standards that are hard to keep when natural desires fight against the standards. There seems to be no way that son of God could understand this, for if he did, he would not let us stay in our present pains. Yet the writer to the Hebrews is quite clear in saying that this high priest sympathizes with our weaknesses. In fact, I would suggest that the mention of our weaknesses toward temptations to sin are an important reminder that Christianity is a confession of weak people and not a confession of those who think they are strong enough to save themselves. Recently, in one of my classes, I spoke of that great evangelical phenomena in which a God-fearing wife, if married to a rebellious husband, will do everything in public to make the marriage seem like it's picture perfect, like it's worthy of being on the cover of a book on marriage. In the same way, children in threatening homes will sit in these pews as perfect angels so that no one knows that dad and mom are living a double life. One Christian in public because they have to meet the club Sanders at church and one non-Christian in private. Yet those responses will not help the marriage or the family as I explained to the students in my class, particularly emphasizing this to the young ladies who have the potential to become those future aforementioned evangelical wives. You only bury the problems deeper by not addressing them. I hope everyone understands that. So I told the class to do something very different than to go into the safe face mode if they find themselves in such situations. I told them, rather than covering up the way the family member or members are acting, instead, walk into your small group or your Sunday school class or your youth group or your young adult group and just fall apart and tell everybody what is going on. Falling apart is just what the power of God and the work of this body are for. We are a confession of weakness, a confession that starts with confessing sin. So, 
So if that is you today, by the way, stop it with the happy face mask and let's get some real help. Do not sit there like everything is fine when it isn't. And don't go blaming God for not sending help. Here is your lifeline right now. And if you're being abused, definitely do not walk out of here with the abuser. Come tell those of us who are in authority so that we can get you and the abuser some help. I'll be right here after service. And so will some other people who can also pray with you. Jesus has finished every temptation all the way through to the end without sinning. So when he says he can see you through, he really can. He is not offering you to endure a marathon of temptations as one who gave in to temptation. Instead, he is inviting you and I to see him as a source of strength when facing temptation to sin because he has run the full marathon. He has endured every every temptation without giving in. So he knows that victory over sinful temptations is possible through him. Whatever you face, when the pressure of the world tempts you to relieve the stress of Christian persecution, Jesus has already faced it categorically. The text says, in every respect. In every respect means more than the three temptations recorded in the synoptics because the synoptics also record that the devil left him only for a more opportune time, Luke 4 in verse 13. Recently, in a closed meeting, one of my colleagues said something that was quite racially insensitive. Being one of only three ethnic minorities in the room, because that's what it often means to be the ethnic minority in majority spaces, I was particularly incensed by how my colleague was attempting to justify his view as growing from our redemptive hermeneutic, that is, growing out of our interpretation of Scripture that this is consistent with the message of God's redemption. I gave a little pushback but not as much as the situation probably could have used because, unfortunately, that's also often what it means to be an ethnic minority of color in majority spaces. Already a little incensed, the embers grew into flames within me when another colleague in another forum says some things that were equally as insensitive and wrong. Now, for those of you who know me, I can say with confidence that you would be hard-pressed to accuse me of being hypersensitive on matters of race, racism, racial insensitivity, and racial injustice. I think if you explore my upbringing, my schooling, my choices of work, my writings, my current friendships and work relations, you might have a much better case of accusing me of denying the gospel by contributing to the slow progress of racial justice and the dismantling of racist ideology by by my friendly, non-confrontational, affirming presence in majority spaces in which I just let many comments and actions slide by without addressing them directly in public or in private, but only in prayer. So when I say that I was burning with anger inside, I hope you will feel with me the reality of the sort of temptation to sin I was facing at the time of that second encounter that I wanted very real, in a very real way, to reply immediately with great force and maybe with decent words said the wrong way at the wrong time. 
Certainly, I was sinning in my head and my heart with some of my thoughts because I was tiring of trying to help someone understand what their statement sounded like to me and what it meant for the racial climate in our environment. At that moment, I was so glad I could talk to Jesus. Gosh. I had to go to him so I could calm down on the inside enough just to teach my next class. Jesus and I had to walk and talk about 15 minutes on just this thing. And I'm so glad that when I went to him, I knew that he could understand. I mean, we just walked and talked, and I said, Jesus, I'm angry right now. And he said, it's going to be all right. I know you're angry. Get that anger in control there. Jesus, I need your help to get this anger in control. And we just walked and talked in there, and I didn't say anything to my co colleagues. I I knew that Jesus could understand, not because he had had a colleague say to him the very things I had heard my colleague say, but because he had heard grossly insensitive things directed at him personally that could have provided temptations to sin. Things like, how can you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? And we are not born of fornication, and if you are the Savior, save yourself. I know that Jesus can sympathize. I know that he understands. Third, this priest opens a way for grace and mercy because verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. To approach God confidently when you have yielded to temptation, because that's the issue in here. They were not trying to approach God confidently because they have sinned. And when we sin, we shrink back from trying to approach God. And we certainly don't feel we can confidently go into his presence. And they were sinning, having left their confession to solve the problems of the pressure against the Christian life their own way. So the writer now wants to encourage them, no, go back to God confidently. To approach God confidently when you have yielded to temptation, you need to do this. You need to confess your sins daily before Jesus. Tell him you are sinful and failed. Recount how you used too much force in your reply to someone at work. Tell him how you badmouthed a parent privately. How you didn't fight a stinky attitude but tried to make people feel as bad as you were feeling. Confess that you haven't listened in humility, patience, or kindness to your spouse or children, and so you are a contributor to the dysfunction in your home you don't like on a given day. Review each day with thanksgiving for his grace that brought you victories, and review each day with confession of our choices that led to our disobedience. Giving up seems like the easiest route but that is a route of destruction, according to the writer of Hebrews. The easiest route is to go to the throne and say, Lord Jesus, please help me again. Very often, we think of God's throne only as a place of power and of judgment. We don't think of it as a place of grace and mercy. Surely, it is a place of power. And it is a place of judgment for unbelievers. If you don't trust Jesus, God's throne will be a place of great judgment forever and forever for you. But God's throne is a place of grace and mercy for we who have trusted in Jesus. Jesus has extremely high standards 
But Jesus is also full of things like this. How about another chance at that? And I'm going to overlook that one again. And it's all right. I'm going to help you make it. Sure, you can have more time to get that one right. And it's okay that you didn't get it done, don't know the answer, and don't have the resources to do it on your own because that's what I'm here for. Jesus is not up there saying, look, you failed again. Jesus is not your overbearing father or mother whose standards were too high. Standards that were too high because either A, you come from an honor and shame culture, or B, the parent was trying to live a life of success through you and in competition with peers, or C, the parent with good intentions for you and your future success didn't know when it was time to dial it back with some grace, or D, because your parent was trying to prove his or her own, to his or her own parent or siblings that he or she was not a failure and actually is better than all of them. <laughs> the no you failed again voice you hear in your head is your parents' talk embedded in you and overlaid on Jesus. Let me say that again. The you failed again talk is your parents' CD streaming in your head that has been there all your life, and now you're trying to overlay that on Jesus and God the Father. No. What you hear, when you hear you failed and it's okay because everyone is a failure but me, and I would love to overlook your failure with great grace, that's when you hear Jesus talking. When you hear you failed again and that's it, that's a voice from the past. When you hear, yeah, I know you failed and here's more grace, that's Jesus. Now, those of you who wish for this message of words emphasizing grace and mercy to be complemented by words of judgment, you need to reconsider. I mean you who are thinking that I'm making grace and mercy cheap or that people cannot recognize grace and mercy until they hear more about the severity of God's judgment. You know who you are. You're squirming right now saying, why does Pastor Eric always emphasize grace? Why does he always tone that bell of mercy in there and try to pull that out in passages? Why doesn't he talk more about how holy God is and how great his standards are and the purity he expects from every one of us? You are concerned that by emphasizing grace, I am lowering the standards of holiness and that the message is imbalanced by my emphasis on the depths of God's mercy and grace. You know what? You're right. The message is imbalanced because grace and mercy are imbalanced. For where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, Paul says. You need to understand that every one of us on this planet is a recipient of far more grace and mercy daily than of which we can ever be aware. Even now, we have sinned so much with our less than all-out worship, with far less than loving the Lord with all our minds, soul heart and strength that the roof of this building should have come down on us in worship and removed every one of us from existence. You have complained enough about the delay of spring <laughs> that winter should have frozen your mouth shut. 
You have so not exercised self-control, so not taken true Sabbath, so not fought pride at every turn, so not have been thankful in all things and for all things that you and I should be exposed before all for the lustful, discontented, proud, and thankless persons before God that we are. But did the Lord still give you breath this morning, new mercies? Yes, he did. Do you still have his kindness to hear a word of conviction enough to bring you to repentance? Yes, you do. Will you still get to hug saints today, kiss your spouse, hold your children and grandchildren and others whom the Lord has placed in your life to replace them when they or their love are absent? Yes, you will. Will your salvation remain intact because of the intercession of Jesus or because you respond to all of his standards of holiness perfectly. No, you don't want the message of the Lord's grace and mercy to be balanced with anything but even more grace and mercy towards yourself because you also want Jesus to be your great high priest. Yeah, yeah, what you want is to walk out of here today knowing your salvation came by grace. You want to go to lunch after church and enjoy that meal and the people around you fully assured that mercy is still flowing towards you from God's throne. You want to go to bed this night like every night asking God your soul to keep with the hope that if something differs, your soul by his grace he will take. You want to know your prayers for your children to have lives of blessings and for your grandchildren to have the same. Don't depend on you, but depend on a God with all power to answer your prayers from his throne who will do so in mercy because neither you nor your grandchildren, nor your children, nor your parents, nor your siblings, nor anyone else deserve one iota of blessing. But yet we continue to receive blessings because of the cross of Jesus. We get blessings because of the empty tomb of Jesus. We get blessings because of the throne of grace of Jesus. We get grace because God rules in much grace and mercy. So you don't want to let go of your confession. And you want to keep going to God confidently. You don't want to solve things your own way, and you don't want to balance this message of mercy and grace with anything else. You want to keep going to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace and help at a time of need because Jesus is a great priest for weak people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for being the strength in our weakness. We're so glad that we can leave our front doors or our cubicles, our offices, and go walk and talk to you at those time of needs. That we have an alternative to solving problems with only our human ingenuity and in the strength of our physical bodies. That we have power from the Spirit who Jesus poured out on us when he ascended back to glory that we can wait on you, that we can trust you, that we can leave victory in your hands, that we know you will shield and defend us. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to leave our confession, but we can come to you confidently because of Jesus. So continue to pour out grace upon grace upon grace. Continue to be a God who is abounding in mercy and loving kindness toward us and bless us. Thank you for giving us Jesus and words of hope today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.